A warning before we start this week's show. This episode deals with conversion therapy as well as a discredited holistic practice and practitioner. For those who have been traumatized and victimized, we want to give you a trigger warning and advise care when listening. It should also be noted that the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints has stated opposition to conversion therapy and does not allow church-sanctioned therapists to practice it. Welcome to another episode of Relentlessly Resilient, where real people share their real-life experiences and the tools they've developed to move forward and live their best lives. I'm Jenny Taylor. And I'm Michelle Scharf. I'm so pleased that we get to talk with Jacob Bozen today. Jacob is my friend. He is 23 years old. People think it's odd that I have a 23-year-old kid who's my friend, but we're good friends, and we met on working on a campaign together. And when you work on campaigns with people, you spend a lot of time, sometimes there's some downtime, and you tend to start sharing things about your life and about your experiences of life. And Jacob told me a story that was just mind-blowing to me, I would say. (laughs) And we've been talking about it over the past year as I've been doing the show And I wanted to give him the opportunity to share it with our listeners. Jacob, tell us a little bit about you. Yeah, so my name's Jacob Bozen. I lived in Morgan, Utah my whole life and just have graduated from the University of Utah in political science and international studies and actually spent like almost all last year in Ukraine. Oh my goodness. crazy. We could be doing a show on Ukraine today with your friends. Jacob was standing in my living room when the first bomb dropped, and it dropped in the city that he'd been staying in. And so we were, he was on the phone with his friends there and talking to them as they were packing up to head to Poland, right? Wow. Yeah. Yeah. Terrible. Anyway, that's a whole nother show. Um, But today we're going to talk about some personal trials that you have experienced in your own life and how they've impacted you. Tell us about you and share this story. Yeah, so when I was 16, I guess I had come out to my parents and just my community and my friends as gay. And it was kind of, I don't think it was a shock, but it was hard for people to deal with, especially being in a very like LDS community. And so I, um, and Michelle wanted me to come. You were active, right? You're active oh, in very, this community. Yeah. Yes, very active, yeah. And since Michelle's been doing this podcast, she's wanted me to come on and talk about this for like, you guys have been doing it for almost two years now, I think. But And I've been kind of hesitant to do it just because I didn't want to paint people or situations in a bad light. But I decided that it's important to talk about what happened to me. And so the experience that I had is I was taken down to a quote unquote doctor in St. George. And I'll tell you that story. So how it began was my mom and my dad went to dinner with my grandparents and some of my aunts and uncles to get some guidance on how to like respond to me being gay or like how to navigate that. And After that conversation had happened, 
and this is what I was told. I'm not sure if this is true, but this is just what I was told. My grandma and my grandpa were on a walk um, and stopped at my aunt and uncle's house. And for some reason, my grandpa was told my aunt and uncle that Jacob is gay. And so my uncle had told my grandparents about this guy named um, Jan Grass. He lives in St. George. And they wanted me to go down and see him because he could help me with being gay, if that makes sense. So my mom and dad came home that day and they told me that they want to take me down to this doctor in St. George because he'd be able to help me with the stress that I was having with my sexual orientation. And my first thought was, no, like I don't, I'm done being analyzed by people. I don't want to go and add another thing to it. And I'm like, no, he's just going to help you with your stress. Like, just trust us on this. We're going to take you down. And so were you 16 at the time? Was this right after you came out? Yeah. So I was either 16 or 17. Yeah, it was probably a few months after I had. Yeah. So we go down to this guy's office in St. George and... I kid you not, I don't know if either of you have seen the horror film called The Visit, (laughs) but there's these grandparents in this film that are, like, crazy. And as soon as I see Jan and his wife, it reminds me completely of the grandparents on this show. It was very weird to me. I did not have a good feeling at all. So he sits me down in his office and asks me why I'm there, and my dad's like, well... Jacob thinks that he might be gay, and so we were referred to you and wanted to see how you could help him. So then um, Jan starts asking me all of these weird questions and is telling me that he can tell that I'm lying by pushing my arm up and down. So I'm sitting in this chair, and he's sitting next to me, and he's like doing these practice questions. So he's asking me, what color are your pants? What color are your socks? So he has me tell the truth and then he has me tell a lie. So he's pushing my arm up and down. And if he can push my arm down, that means I'm lying. So that's what he's trying to convince me of. Mm -hmm. So then he starts asking me all of these questions that I don't know the answer to. So he asked me, when has your stress began? Were you injured in the pre-Earth life? Just weird questions like that that I'm like, I don't know the answer to. So I'm giving him these answers, and he's kind of deciding if I'm lying or not because I don't know the answers to what I'm giving him. So he tries to pinpoint where my stress came from. So he starts counting down from like 16 or 17. He's going 16, 15, 14, 13. And he gets down to zero. And he comes to the conclusion that I am stressed because my parents, when they found out um, they were pregnant with me, that they didn't want me. And so he asked my dad, so yeah, so he asked my dad and he says, were you guys not excited when you found out that you were pregnant with Jacob? And my dad's like, no, we were pretty excited. I mean, we didn't, we had like nothing negative to say about it. And so he's like, no, you guys didn't really want him. 
That's why he's experiencing the stress that he's experiencing. So he makes my dad apologize to me. And it was like a very fake apology because I think that my dad knew that it wasn't. Well, because your dad was excited. They were excited about it. So now that he's having to fake an apology for something that didn't even happen. Yeah, yeah. So I, as soon as my dad apologized to me, I just start laughing just because I'm like, I am really in the nut house, <laughs> but this is where it really like picks up and gets like really disgusting. This is like a bad movie, but it's real. <laughs> yeah. Oh, yeah. hang on. It gets so much worse. <sighs> so then he comes to the conclusion that I was injured in the battle in heaven before I came to earth. So like the battle between Satan and God. So he has me call down my great grandma, my dad and I, he had me call her down to remove what he called a weapon of war from my body. So we call my grandma down from heaven apparently and to remove this weapon of war from my body because it was another trigger for stress, apparently. So we remove it. I was like, okay, well, it makes no really big difference to me. So then he starts getting to the point where he's telling me why people are gay. So he says, in most cases, someone to be gay, they have to have a sexual experience growing up that invites entities or bad spirits into this person's body to like feed off of their sexual orientation and to to practically control them. So he does the counting down thing with my arm to figure out how old I was when I had this so-called experience. So he gets down to three years old and he says to me that I had a sexual experience when I was three years old that invited a female spirit into my body. So I'm sitting here thinking, I'm like, well, I did have an experience, but it wasn't anything big or like anything to worry about. And I can guarantee you that I was not three years old because I look at my nephew and he's three years old right now. And I'm like, there's no way that he would even have be able to comprehend some of the things that I remember that happened, nothing bad and nothing to worry about. But he just told me that this happened when I was three years old. So he then has me, he starts telling me, so you do the things that you do in your life because this female spirit wants you to do them. You don't do them because you want to do them. So he starts asking me all of these things that I do for fun. So like I played volleyball in high school, I still do. I did debate. I was like really interested in politics. So he's trying to convince me that I'm not in control of what I wanted to do. So he's telling me that I'm doing all these things because this spirit is making me do them because she wants to do them, not because I want to. So then he gets to the point where he has me and I would say an exorcism prayer (laughs) So he had me do the first time where I had to command this female spirit out of my body so she could go to the light, he said, so she could like leave. 
so I do this prayer that he tells me and send her away. He's like, he asked me with my arm again. He's like, Jacob, is she gone? And I'm like, yep, she's gone. <laughs> <laughs> and he's like, nope, you're lying. She's not gone. So he makes me do it again, do the exact same thing. He's like, I want you to be, to have more intent this time. So I say the prayer a little bit stronger. And then he's asked me, Jacob, is she gone? Does my arm. And I'm like, yep, she's gone. He's like, yeah, she's gone, but she'll be back. So he told my dad that I need to be doing these prayers twice a day from when I wake up to when I go to sleep to keep this spirit out of my body. So then he starts showing me all of these pictures of like Michael Jackson. And I don't know why (laughs) he was telling me how what is happening to me is similar to what happened to Michael Jackson, because Michael Jackson also has a spirit that is controlling him. And that's why he had all of these surgeries to change his face and his skin color. And the spirit is making Michael Jackson do this. It's very weird. So then we leave the doctor's office and come back to Morgan. And by this time, you have to consider, I was sitting in this chair for at least three hours getting my arm pressed up and down. And your parents were both in the room? No, just the dad. Just the dad. Just my dad. Just my dad. So you and your dad and this quote-unquote doctor. By the way, he's a chiropractor. Well, I'm, I'm trying to think, like... Did you keep a straight face? I mean, it's it's hard to listen to this without thinking, okay, this is so ridiculous. But I imagine maybe the emotion of the moment there was kind of that expectation and that manipulation that maybe didn't make it very funny at all. Well, yeah, and he's 16 years old and he's sitting there with his dad who has been told that this guy is legitimate. Wow. Yeah, so like my dad was like, he wasn't like, I don't know, like he was clearly emotional about the process. Because I remember talking to him after, like, we had come home, and I'll talk about that, too. But he had practically told me that he could feel this female spirit leave the room. Like, he had truly believed that. And I'm not sure if he still believes that. And I said, well, that's your experience. I didn't feel a thing. It, it, I didn't feel anything. And so you can't convince me of something that you experienced and I didn't when this has something directly to do with me and nothing to really do with you. And so we come back to Morgan and on the way home, I'm thinking, okay, this might be actually like legit. And that lasted for about an hour. And then I was thinking, okay, yeah, this is actually like really crazy. Like, what did I just go to? So I go hang out with my friend after I get home and I get a call from my mom and she's like, you need to come home right now. So I come home, they sit me down in the living room and my mom's like, I don't care what you do, but she says, you need to get her out of you. Meaning this female spirit that they think is in my body. And I remember getting like trying to tell them, I'm like, no, I don't, I don't believe that. Like, this is crazy. And I remember getting upset with them. Like one of the things that I do not do is raise my voice in front of my parents. I don't know why I just don't. 
And I remember doing that. And my mom looks at me and she says, it's her. So what she meant by that was it was not me talking to my mom. It was this spirit that was talking to my mom. And at that point, I was like, okay, you guys win. I will do whatever you need me to do. So they had me do these prayers twice a day. So it was right when I get up to when I go to bed to release this spirit from my body or to at least keep her away from me, if that makes sense. And then a few days later, I was taken down to my my aunt's house and we had like all like the priesthood people there to give me a blessing. And this blessing was so I could overcome, quote unquote, my same sex attraction. I hate when they call it that. I think it's stupid. But that's kind of the the terms that are used in the community. And then I had figured out that some of my family didn't know why they were there. And so I remember hearing one of my cousins ask my mom, like, why are we here? And my mom had explained to him, like, what was going on and whatever. And so it was just really, I don't know, it was weird to me because a lot of them didn't know why they were even there. But all of them were there giving me this blessing to overcome my quote-unquote same-sex attraction. So it was really weird to me. So later that day, I had a discussion with one of my family members, and I was telling them, like, I don't agree with this. Like, I think it's crazy, like, that that's even, like, something that is even considered to be, like, what's going on with me. And they're like, well, we do know that in the Bible that those pigs were possessed, because apparently there's a story in the Bible where the pigs run off of the cliff that are possessed by demons, And so that just kind of gives you the magnitude of what I was like dealing with and the perception that was being placed on me. Which, you know, you're young and you're impressionable. You're still pretty young at this age and you're grappling with sexual identity in a culture that it's not okay, that it's not accepted. And... Well, and I'll speak up quickly here and say this this is giving everybody a bad name. Right. Like you can't possibly say mm-hmm. all doctors do this or all chiropractors do this or all people yeah. who believe in the oh, Bible do yeah. this. Because I know the story of the pigs and the demons and I would never in a million years equate it to the experience you've just shared. I would never connect those two. And it's like it's just twilight zone. Weird from parents who must have been desperate to not believe what you've told them or not want to believe that. So they have to find some, I mean, I'm trying to, I'm trying to empathize and find where, where this intensity would come from that it's becoming a, a possessed is probably a good word. It feels like people in this moment are possessed, possessed with this obsession to make this all go away rather than, I, I don't know. I'm, I'm just having a hard time, like wrapping my brain around the fact that this would really happen and that you would have to go through that, especially as such a young man. Yeah, yeah. And so I had agreed to do these prayers twice a day. It lasted for maybe two weeks where I would do it when I wake up and then right before I go to bed. And 
I had just gotten really sick of it and tired of it because I'm like, I feel no different. Like, <laughs> like what is this really doing to me? And I didn't believe that there was this female spirit controlling my body, telling me what to do and whatever. And so I ended up going to my bishop at the time and running this by him because I was like... Okay, Jacob, before you get to that point, we've got to take a quick break. So we'll take a quick break and we'll be right back. Okay, and we're back with Jacob. Man, that is a lot to comprehend and take in. And even for some of us to even... I remember when you told me it, and I've been around massage therapy, and I've been around all kinds of the holistic healing arts, and what you're talking about is applied kinesiology, but I've never seen it applied in this way. And it it, it is kind of in the practice of the art of the woo for those that don't believe in any of it. Um, it's just unbelievable that you would have to, to go through all of that. And and you have to put it in perspective. You've abbreviated this in 10, 15 minutes of your experience of sitting in the office, but this man is pushing on your arm and asking you all these questions and you are becoming fatigued and tired and emotionally worn down. It's, yeah, it's 100%. just, yeah, it's just a lot to take in. Now, when we left on break, you were telling us about, uh, you know, you finally decided to go have a conversation with your bishop. Let's pick up there. Tell us about that. Yeah. So I decided to go talk to him because I remember being told after I had come home that there's documents out there from the first presidency. I don't remember when saying that all what I have just experienced is correct, that this is why people are gay. It's because they got these spirits controlling them. I was told that I don't, I don't think that it's true that that's an actual document, but that's what I was told. So I thought, okay, well, I'm going to go talk to my bishop and get his perspective on this. So I go talk to him, tell him the whole story. And he's like, no, he's like, that's not true. He's like, that's not what we believe. And I said, okay, well, this is what's being pushed on me very hard. So I set up a meeting between him and my parents so he could tell them that this wasn't the case, like that this needs to be dropped. And after they went to that meeting, we never discussed it again until a few months ago. And that was, so I'm 23 now, so that was about five, six, seven years ago. So so wait a sec, so I understand. So you talk with the bishop, the bishop helps your parents see that this probably is not a helpful or reputable or acceptable approach. And and you didn't talk about it with your parents and kind of resolve it. It was just dropped as if it never happened. Let's move forward. Or mm-hmm. what was that? Was that yeah. kind of the environment? Okay. So yeah. walk us through that because that also doesn't sound very helpful. Yeah, so like I... I mean, I love my parents, and I mean, that's why I was very hesitant to come on here, because I don't want to paint them in a bad light, and I feel like, 
because when I discussed this with them, they honestly did not know what I was going into. Like they, they no, thought and you, I was. You have a great amount of love for your parents, and and you understand that at some level they were operating off of fear and also genuine love to try to help you get past this because this isn't what they wanted for you. Right. Yeah. And, and on that, some 100%. level, and at some level, like I kind of can relate to that in the way of who wants to choose to be gay because it's not easy in this society. Life is hard enough without having to have things that make us even more different from whatever society deems as normal, which I don't even know what that is. But I mean, in some ways I can kind of say, okay, well, as a parent, that could be hard. Yeah. Not that it makes it great or okay, but I can see, I think that they were operating from a space of love and fear, unfortunately. Yeah, I remember having my discussion with my parents a few months ago, and my one of the things my mom said was, she's like, we shouldn't have done that. It obviously was not good for you, but she said, but if you if that had actually been the case and you were possessed, we were going to help you with that. So it really was from that perspective. Is they didn't really know what to do, right? Um, but there were consequences of that, obviously, and. So when I met Michelle, um, we were just talking about this one night. Um, this was probably a year ago. Michelle's talent she, for drawing out the stories that people have not shared with other people. You are very good at that. <laughs> <laughs> and she ended up doing some research on this Dr. Jan Graf in St. George. And we found a Deseret News article. And this is the title of the article. Evil Spirit Buster in St. George turns in chiropractic license. And one of the sentences in the article is, Graf's practice constituted a danger to the public and violated state law governing the chiropractic profession. And so this hasn't just happened to me. No. And I've, I went and talked. Um, I had a, a dinner a few months ago with my cousin, and she had shared with me that she was struggling with anxiety. And so her parents had taken her to a doctor in St. George. And I'm sitting there listening to her tell me this story. And I'm like, there's no way. I'm like, there is no way that you were also taken to this guy. And she was. And the doctor tells her, does the arm thing gets to the point of where she was stressed, gets to zero years old, and says, you are stressed because your parents did not want you when they found out that they were pregnant with you. So he told her the same exact thing that he told me. Oh, my goodness. Yeah. yeah. Like, I hope they did something more than just take away his chiropractic license. Well, so here's the interesting thing. I looked him up again today. And I went to his website. He passed away January 21st of this year. But he has a foundation. And then he has sold a book called The Graph Stress Management Technique. And there are followers and people that are still using his techniques. Unbelievable. It's sick. 
And so how this originally all started was my uncle had some health issues when he was like my, my age and he was referred to go down to see Dr. Graf. And one of the things that, that he told him is that he needed to sit in tanning beds to cure his eczema. And I don't know if that. (laughs) I know. (laughs) It's like, well, we'll clear, clear up the eczema, but you'll get skin cancer instead. (laughs) Yeah. And I, I don't know if that helps or not. I mean, in my mind, I don't think that it would, but it's just, yeah, he is just crazy. Yeah. It's really unfortunate. I mean, it's like you got sucked into this vortex of this woo, quasi-spiritual, whatever, and it's just somebody who's really gotten off track, and it's unfortunate. And and then you start to believe it. I, I, again, right. I'm trying to be empathetic to right. those who might fall into that, not to excuse the what sounds very crazy to most of us, but certain people have very manipulative capabilities where they could tell you something and say something and present something in such a way that it's almost like you're under a spell. And and unfortunately, we know that happens in relationships, Mm -hmm. that happens in sales deals, um, it happens with con artists all the time. And it's easy on the outside to say, oh, how could you fools go along with that? And yet trying to be, again, empathetic to people who kind of almost get duped into that it's it's almost like a brainwashing of sorts yeah. they play on the fear they they play on those emotions and then they just mold it into such a tricky thing yeah it's pretty crazy well jacob we're going to take another quick break and, and when we come back let's talk about your resiliency and where you are okay. today And we're back. Jacob, I'm so glad that you're able to come and share this story. And, you know, I've met your mom and I, I love her. I think she's a great woman. And um, and I've heard you talk about your parents with me. And, and I, I know that you have a deep amount of love and respect for them. And I know that this was difficult, but really, I think the story needs to be told because how easy it is to fall prey to people that can be so manipulative with but whatever it is, doesn't matter what the religion is, but any kind of belief system, and then they take it and then they twist it and they create their own kind of sub-religion off of that. And this guy was operating that, you know, that he had some spiritual connections or magical powers or, or an ability to understand things through applied kinesiology, which... I don't believe that he was accurate in any way, especially, you know, when you went to dinner with your, was it your cousin? Yeah. I mean, how crazy that she has the same story, that the process was the same. The storytelling was the same. It's just kind of unbelievable to me. Oh, for sure. Yeah. It it really confirmed that it was all crap to me when I heard her tell me the story. Right. I mean, I had already had that perception 
but it I remember when you were telling me, yeah, I remember when you were telling me the story you're sitting on my couch and I'm like, what was this doctor's name? So I went to look up the doctor <laughs> and that's when we found the news article and I'm like, oh my gosh, like you've got to read this. And that was like just a huge thing. But it was interesting because when you were telling me, I remember you, I felt like you were telling me and you're like, I don't know if this thing that happened had any truthfulness to it at all, I felt like there was still a part of you that thought maybe I should believe that there's, but that that's kind of like a brainwashing technique while you're there for three hours to create confusion oh, in you. Right. Cause there was this part of you that was a little bit, but when we found that article, you were like, wait a minute, you know, and that's what I was saying before. I can think of a couple experiences in my life where looking back, I can see I was being ridiculous to believe what was presented to me. But in the moment, and that person that's so persuasive and manipulative and convincing, I could find myself in almost believing, almost agreeing, or almost feeling guilty that I didn't believe or that I should believe. And in fairness to the the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints, I know of no doctrine that agrees with any of this. Mm -hmm. And yet it was an experience I had within that same faith where um, it was it was some man who's also a member of that same church that thought he'd been given this direct revelation that he is to marry me. And I say that out loud and I'm like, oh my gosh, I'm going to throw up. This is so ridiculous. <laughs> but in the moment when it's presented and over the circumstances, you can see where some of that manipulation and that that fear. And I think in the Latter-day Saint culture, we, we tend to, we, we believe in revelation. We believe mm-hmm. in God's will. We believe in submission to that will. We believe in good over evil. We believe all these things that it can be then very easy to absolutely miscommunicate and misunderstand into situations like these. So, Jacob, I'm sorry that you had to had to wrestle with that, especially from people that you love. I appreciate that you are not speaking ill of your parents. You're not looking at this like, oh, my gosh, everyone's so crazy. What a complicated situation. And I'm glad that it's something that hopefully you've come out of and, um, you know, not not still lingering at least too much. And and the experience, I would imagine, has taught you and strengthened you, I would hope. Yeah, so how I got through it, like a lot was going on at the time. And that's why I was so hesitant to not go because I'm like, I'm, I'm done being analyzed by people. I'm sick of it. Like, just like, just let me be. <laughs> that was really my perspective on it before going to this doctor but I never lost like my passion and drive for academics at my school and so I always kept busy with that like anything just to keep my mind going that was truly like very helpful I loved driving my car because I had a stick shift and I I just felt like it gave me a sense of control over an aspect of my life where I was being constantly analyzed or being told to do something by somebody else. Like my car going on a drive, like that was very big for me. And talking about the experience of people that I trust and getting like their perspective on it. Cause I mean, you have to consider I was very young and I mean, I, I'm still young now, but I was a teenager and, not a lot of teenagers experience something like that. And so it was important for me to talk about it with my friends or with people that I trusted to work through it, I guess, and just 
get it all out there. And then I removed influences in my life that may threaten me. And so I tried to avoid conversations with people that threaten me on this subject. So like, I'm not LDS anymore. Um, I think that whole community was hard for me just because perspectives that they have on the LGBT issues and everything. And so I just, just removing that from my life was very helpful, much happier because of that. I'm also very good at controlling my emotions. You can ask Michelle this. I'm like an expert at this. Um, and I'm very good at it around people that have hurt me in the past because, and this can be bad and it can be good. I don't know. I do not like being vulnerable in front of people. Like it makes me, I do not like being taken advantage of that way. And so I've learned how to really control my reactions in front of people that have hurt me in the past. And that can be good and bad, like I said. Yeah, you, you, have, um, you have a great way of holding your own space. You allow people to be who they are, but you're like, I don't necessarily need to reveal myself to you or really open myself to you, which is so interesting because, I mean, I'm so out there. I'm such an open book and, and yet you, you are drawn to me. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) And, And you would think that I would be like too much for you, but I'm not. And we've created this great friendship and, um, you know, what I love about you is you are so smart, you're so bright, you're so intelligent, you're so driven in your academics and in your pursuits. And I really admire your your ability to know what you want and to go after it and get it. And I also see your love and compassion for people, but you are cautious. And uh, I do see that a little bit. And but I think that you've got such a great heart and and I really admire you. The funny thing is when you told me the story, well, when I first met you, I'm like, huh, I wonder if he's gay. But I mean, it was a thought and, and we were working together and, and I don't care one way or the other, like somebody's sexual orientation, it doesn't change my life, you know. And then as we spent time and you revealed the story to me, I was just like, how can you be so driven and so mentally balanced? He's such a level-headed young man, and he knows where he's going. And I, it, it's amazing to me to see that in him when he has really experienced some deep trauma. Well, I think of that component of resilience of taking the deep, the dark, the hard, the hurtful, and finding purpose or direction in it on the other side of it, pushing through. And I I really love what you mentioned about his compassion and Jacob, the ability you have to be, to hold space for people, to be who they are. And unfortunately, it, it feels like that compassion was probably made deeper by not having others show that same compassion to you. And we all know that sometimes you learn from the good example of others and sometimes you really learn from when things are wrong or not done the way that, that you would want them to be done. It can also be a teacher that, hey, I'll, I'll definitely do that differently or I'll mm-hmm. be sure to treat people. So I just appreciate your willingness to share this story with us and share your resilience and how 
The resilience ties into personal relationships, that you can be strong and resilient in who you are, have space to be compassionate for other people and who they are, and not feel like you owe anyone an explanation or an apology. And I think that's something that people twice or three times your age, Jacob, still struggle with. Mm-hmm. For, for you to have a grasp on that and such a clarity on that from such a young age is admirable and something I think Michelle and I and our listeners can definitely learn from and maybe take a step back and evaluate how we do view people, treat people, quickly react to things that probably don't even need a reaction, let alone a harsh reaction. So thank you for this conversation. It's been very enlightening, and I just appreciate your willingness to share. Jacob, tell us, what does resilience mean to you? I think just having a passion and being driven and just keeping to keep on going in your life. I think time is very important. I think time and resilience are intertwined very much. And just taking the time to develop yourself and use the experiences that you've had to develop yourself, really, and just learn from them. Yeah. Yep. Love that. I love it. Love that. Jacob, thank you for joining us today. Yeah, thank you. You're so amazing. I love having you. You too, Michelle. (laughs) (laughs) I love having you as my friend. Me too. Well, we are grateful to you for joining us today. We're grateful for all of our listeners for for listening in with us on this journey with you. And we'd like to invite all of those listening to find us and follow us on social media, on Facebook and Instagram at Relentlessly Resilient Podcast. Find us on your favorite podcast platform. Give us a like, a rating, and a review. And as always, we would like to invite those of you listening to consider whether or not you have a story you'd be willing to share with us your real-life story of the real challenges you've faced and the tools you've developed to move forward and live your best life. Remember, whatever you do today, remember to be kind. You have no idea the struggles others are dealing with in their lives. Have a great day.